you know, I have heard stories where people would say deliverance has been transformational and they would, you know, just be in, speak so positively of different deliverance. Other people would describe it as traumatic. And so I think for, for me, just helping understanding it is really important and for churches to be able to do it if they are going to choose that, to do it in a way that can be the most supportive. From Hope Made Strong, this is the Care Ministry Podcast, a show about equipping ministry leaders and transforming communities through care. Supporting those in your church and community not only changes individuals' lives, but it grows and strengthens the church. But we want to do that without burning out. So listen in as we learn about tools, strategies, and resources that will equip your team and strengthen hope. I'm Laura Howe, and on the show today, we are talking with Margaret Clark, head of the counseling department at Briarcrest Seminary, about the intersection of faith and mental health, and specifically around deliverance models. A few months ago, my church received an email from an occasional attendee who was seeking support. A friend of theirs suggested that they need deliverance. However, when this person looked up deliverance ministry, oh, they read stories of people convulsing and vomiting and participating in activities that, to be perfectly honest, frightened them. This person emailed us and asked if they indeed do need deliverance and if our church participated in these types of activities. Now, in all honesty, I didn't know how to respond. I wasn't familiar with deliverance ministry. I I never came across that growing up. And on one hand, this individual had been dabbling in the occult and some pretty deep stuff. And on the other hand, this person was repentant, wanting to turn away and live for God. Now, I spoke with my pastor kind of secretly hoping he said we did not provide deliverance because I had never engaged in this ministry activity. And actually, it made me really uncomfortable. But it got me thinking about why it made me uncomfortable. And what is deliverance ministry? And when I started researching it, there were articles reflecting a huge range of opinions. Everything from people saying that it is not biblical to those saying it is and actually it's an integral part of church ministry. There were stories of how deliverance changed someone's life in incredible positive ways. And then there were stories about saying how it was abusive and how traumatizing it was. What I did notice, however, is that there was not common understanding of what deliverance ministry was. There was no common definition, approach, or model in how it's offered. That seemed to be left up into interpretation. Every church or every ministry offered a different deliverance model. Now, having differing or polarizing opinions and beliefs, are that's not new to the Christian faith. I, I don't think anyone would be uh, able to find two people that believe the exact same thing. And there are many areas in care ministry as well that people have differing opinions on. Things like churches offering counseling or how people disperse financial aid or offer pastoral care or maybe discipleship pathways and training requirements for volunteers. There's so many different ways that churches can offer this. And and that is okay. I think it's necessary for each community and culture and church to be unique just as unique as the people that they serve. So I am not wanting to approach this topic in an ignorant or arrogant way, saying that there is only one way to offer care and support people. Because the only one way that I know of 
is Jesus. However, I could not shake the stories of people being hurt or traumatized or even turning away from their faith. It, it hurt my heart. We, I, I don't think anyone would ever want that to be the result of people seeking support from the church. Now, shortly after I received this email, I was sitting next to my new friend, Margaret, at an event. She and I quickly bonded as being some of the, the few Canadians in the room, and we began chatting. And I brought up this question of deliverance because as the head of the counseling department at a highly regarded Canadian seminary, she was clearly more versed in this topic than I was. And the wisdom and grace that she shared was absolutely amazing. And I knew immediately that we need to have a podcast on this topic because she approached this topic of deliverance with such an open heart. It wasn't prescriptive. It wasn't conclusive. It wasn't saying that there is only one one right or wrong way, but she recognized that the common goal was for the church to support people to health and wholeness and freedom. Rather than attacking or defending a specific model or approach, she spoke about common red flags that any ministry, deliverance or or counseling or what have you, any ministry that might have that could traumatize and hurt people, despite the church having the best of intentions. Now, this was several months ago, so I am so excited to introduce you to a new friend and revisit this conversation. Margaret grew up in rural Alberta, like I said, a fellow Canadian, and as a young person, she was quiet and studious and had a deep connection to her faith. Margaret married a pastor when she and when she was in her 20s, sought out support from a counselor, and this positive experience was the catalyst that brought her back to school to build a career focused on supporting clergy health. So again, my husband uh, was in local church ministry for 25 years. He's now in a denominational role. And so I was uh, for many years the pastor's wife, which I had a, an interesting relationship <laughs> with that title. Um, when I was in my late 20s and had a couple of little kids, it's when I got some help myself from a really great Christian therapist. And um, that was just so meaningful. And it was in that kind of season, I felt really drawn to go back and get my master's mm. degree and become a Isn't therapist. Isn't that how so many of us find our way into this we either receive help ourselves and was like oh I want to be like that person or or maybe we fall into it because you know we we become a caregiver or supporter of our, of our friends or family mm-hmm. and then really we just develop skills and that just kind of becomes the pathway we take yeah. that's so fun So you received support and then was like, I, what about your um, counselor that was like, I want to be like that? Yeah, well, he, again, he was specifically um, somebody who supported pastors and their families, our denomination Mm -hmm. and hired him to provide pastoral care. And even though what I needed to talk about wasn't necessarily to do with ministry stuff, it was just important to have a safe space um, and just walking with, with, with somebody. And so I think that that season, and again, it was sort of a, in some ways vague and it, um, I just was a sense of like, I want to help and I want to do this. And so pursued that ended up having a very interesting career in all kinds of areas I didn't expect. Um, and, <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> um, well, I ended up working primarily in mental health and addictions. Mm-hmm. I worked for many years and loved working with like uh, 
teenagers who uh, had substance use issues um, and absolutely loved it, even though my own experience, as I shared, was pretty straight laced. Um, I've yeah. never been around drugs. And so it was quite interesting how rich that work was, <laughs> even though it was quite unexpected. And that was um, beautiful. And even though yeah. my, in lots of ways, my heart from the very beginning was to support like pastors and their families. Yeah. Um, it wasn't only until recently, actually only the last couple of years that my focus has been that I had all these other rich experiences, which mm-hmm. has also equipped me to do my role as a trainer of therapists. And I, I hope I can, um, as a professor really help provide a broad understanding of the world of mm-hmm. mental health and addictions for our students yeah. who are becoming therapists. And that's what you do now. Can you share a little bit about, you just did a little there, but mm-hmm. would love to hear like your role in Briarcrest and, yeah. and, and your research, your recent research yeah. that you're doing. Yeah. So the last few years have been very rich and, and again, really, mm-hmm. um, I may be unexpected in some ways and not, but so my full-time role is as, um, the department head at Briarcrest Seminary for the counseling department. And I, so we have a master's of counseling and master's of marriage and family program there. And I'm one of the professors who teach in the program and this beautiful opportunity to provide and support our students as they become equipped as therapists. Um, So that's my full-time job. I also have a small private practice um, where I work as a therapist. We believe that all of our faculty should be practicing therapists. And so I do that. Most of my, well, maybe it's about 50-50 as far as my focus with clients is with pastors and their families. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also see just anybody um, for therapeutic kind of things um, and work with them. Um, and then I've also, um, as I did my uh, PhD, I had the chance to do a study on clergy resilience. And so that's been a huge part as well. Um, so I do a lot of speaking on the topic and workshops and support for for different groups around um, what do pastors need to help them do well and and um, and to thrive. So, and that's where we met. We were found ourselves at the same table mm-hmm. um, and bonded over being Canadian. <laughs> There's very few Canadians there, so I was like, yeah. "You're from Canada. I'm from Canada." Yeah. Um, and then during that conversation, I we were kind of talking about. Um, this concept of deliverance or this model of ministry of deliverance. And at that point in time, that was a few months ago. And, um, I, I, you know, like I said in in the intro where, you know, it was kind of my first introduction to it. So after doing some research, I was like, oh, this is a whole thing. And there's a lot of different approaches or thoughts Mm -hmm. around what deliverance is. Is it biblical? Is it not? And, and, you know, our conversation isn't to determine whether it's right or wrong. We're not drawing a line in the sand here, but some of the things that you were sharing with me, I was like, this is going to be a great podcast. I want, and so thank you so much. I know this is a little bit outside of what you are research. You're you're doing clergy health, but I just thought that the conversation we had was so rich Mm -hmm. that would love to share um, some of the wisdom that you offered me while we were sitting at the table. Mm -hmm. Uh, So to start off, would love to hear... Uh, you know, let's talk about what deliverance is or what deliverance ministry can be. There's many different models. So what are some of, I don't know, the models or approaches to Mm -hmm. deliverance that you have come across in your work? Sure. Yeah. And I don't want to present myself as like a 
academic expert on this topic. This <laughs> this kind of knowledge comes from some of my ministry experience and my exposure mm-hmm. there, some of my personal kind of experience, and then as a therapist, kind of hearing stories. And so, you know, I have heard stories where people would say deliverance has been transformational, and they would, mm-hmm. you know, just be in speak so positively of different deliverance. Other people would describe it as traumatic. And so, I think for for me, just helping understanding it is really important and for churches to be able to do it if they are going to choose that to do it in a way that can be the most supportive. Um, so a couple things with deliverance, I think that's helpful for people. So again, some of, I think what's important to be aware of, there are fairly significant different models of deliverance out there and that <laughs> makes a big difference. And I think it's important yeah. for churches to think that through. Um, so there are, they, there's kind of two categories that they often describe. There's what's called truth encounter. And then there's what's called power encounter. Truth encounter really involves the sort of declarations of truth as a way to combat any spiritual forces and, and do that. Power encounters are more um, direct in that they they feel that there's authority to speak directly to the spiritual realm and any spiritual forces that might be affecting it. We Within those camps, those can also look very different. And so some will still be very, you know, power encounters still might be very calm, um, others can be quite dramatic, um, and and there are models out there and traditions out there that that involve that. Um, again, I think one of the things that I would say for churches as they consider this, I mean, some of you need to, some of it. What needs to be wrestled with is there's different theological perspectives on you know sort of the spiritual realm and spiritual warfare, and so I think wrestling with what is theologically congruent for the group. Um, and there are different um, experiences. And then what people kind of think is, you know, their own beliefs about this is important. Mm. I, I think one of the co- – oh, sorry. Now, when you were said truth and power, so those are two different, we'll say, tracks or two different veins that it's yeah. not um, modules where a deliverance ministry has one level as truth, one level power. Uh, yeah. it's, it's more of two different veins of how it's, it's yeah. uh, pursued. Is that what you mean? Um, in, that's kind of in my experience, I suppose there might be some ministries or churches that might have some level of both. My yeah. experience has been people tend to kind of endorse like, or use one Lean or the to other one side or the other. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So back in the day, I don't, you know, it's still, it still exists, but freedom in Christ is a ministry that used a truth encounter. Um, right. And again, it involves declarations and different, like, you know, like different processes of, of things like that, um, as opposed to some of the power encounters. And again, some of the power encounters, again, can be quite calm and, you know, fairly methodological, like have a, a format they follow. Others mm-hmm. are going to be very kind of discernment based a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, more dramatic in that mm-hmm. uh, you know there's some stories about where some traditions believe in order for the the demon to be expelled that person has to vomit um, so stories mm-hmm. like that uh, of course would you know might make people a little bit uncomfortable although mm-hmm. there's people who that's their understanding of what's effective and they they might find it helpful so again it's that that interweaving of what are people's understandings perspectives on these things um, but those mm-hmm. are some of the stories that you hear um, again, there's, you know, I think if people wanted to, there's, there's, uh, you know, a, a long tradition, you know, the Catholic church has a lot, a long tradition. They, they do refer to it as exorcism, which again, lots of interesting images come to <laughs> mind from movies. Um, but there has been sort of this, 
various iterations throughout church history. So, yeah, you know, I think for... This isn't a new thing. No, it's not a new thing. How it kind of shows up in different traditions. Um, You know, again, different traditions have different views on this. And so it comes up in different ways, for sure. Mm. So... Um, a couple of the things I think when I think about the model, a, I think it's good to be re- reflective on it for a church and a, and a ministry. Again, thinking about what are their their theological views about the spiritual realm. Um, I do think one of the things when we think about like why is it that some people have an experience that is so meaningful and profound, and why do some potentially have traumatic? I think one of the things I think it is important for for churches to think through with their approach is is it a fear based approach. Um, and I think caution in that, right? So I, I, I think if you're going to think about deliverance, right, that word is, is kind of meaningful, right? It should come with a sense of freedom and release. And I think, unfortunately, sometimes that, that instead it can come with a sense of fear. And so I think for churches to think through that um, and how they either is it being presented or, again, what are some of the, the kind of core principles I think is important. Um, in that regard, I think also, especially in our culture where, um, you know, our awareness of mental health, your whole purpose of your podcast, as I understand it, you know, that piece of it is an important part too, right? We're whole beings and our psychological mental health well-being is interwoven with our spiritual well-being. Yes. And so I do think that's where also churches, like there are some amazing, you know, believers who are, are mental health professionals out there. And so to be able to consult with that as well and to just talk it through and hopefully to have people, whether they're in your congregation or in the broader, um, you know, system that can support you and think that through is really helpful as well. Um, because again, you know, just kind of approaching it like, oh, this is the, this is sort of the tool or the ministry for everybody, I, I think is a little unwise. And so being mm. able to consider that, and that's where some other perspectives can be helpful to support the yeah. church in that. Yeah. Um, the other- so if someone is, sorry, just wanted to yeah. clarify. So when someone is struggling with um, something, whether it's, you know, wanting to they've had occultic experiences mm-hmm. or they, their perception of what they're experiencing is um, demonic in nature or things like that to say, um, to look at different approaches saying that maybe a deliverance model may work for some, but not for others. And to really explore different, is that, is that what you're suggesting? Yeah. Well, I think on the big picture, I think just in general, if the churches are just Gener- like considering a deliverance ministry period, I think it's good to have that voice at the table. Mm. Um, somebody who can help think through those implications um, and consider that. Then I do think for sure, Laura, it gets into this place of you have to think about the individual recipients. Like who is mm. it that is potentially getting that ministry and also who's facilitating it. Um, these okay. two things, I think there's some, and that's where I think it's helpful to think through some of those things as well. Um one of the things you, I would what yeah, oh. I was gonna say what when you say the recipient, what are some of the you know, what are some of the things that we should be looking at for those who are coming to us for care? Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things I definitely think is helpful when you when you're thinking about approach is also think about is it a broader process? Um, that is going to provide ongoing care and support. So Mm. some deliverance can be sort of a one-off. 
And, and you create like a vacuum where yeah. something there's an there's an experience, there's um, a release or whatever there there is. But then if there's no follow up, then yeah. it definitely yeah yeah that wouldn't be good. Yeah, and that, that's where I think there's some systems that are kind of it's part of a broader kind of process. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think for to think through that and how is it um, that it that it that it provides care on a whole level, right? And and also mm-hmm. thinking, you know, certainly at the church ministry level, like what are some of the other systems that are there to support care? But then more broadly as well, like it may yeah. be that somebody could benefit from deliverance and at the time also needs counseling um, yes. or needs it's to go a, talk. It, it could be a both and, it doesn't have to totally. be an either or. Yeah, and that's where we need to remember, I think sometimes that we are whole beings. Right. That means our all of these things are interwoven and affect each other. And so the more we can take that understanding of of our whole being, it's important instead of just getting a little tunnel vision with it. Um, and again, it may be very helpful for a person, um, but make sure keeping some of these things in mind. Um, I have a few when it, when it comes to thinking about somebody who might be receiving deliverance, there's definitely a few things I've seen where it probably can you know, make things go a little awry. Um, one of the things I think, again, and, and because people who find it meaningful and really believe in deliverance, um, they are so passionate about it. Sometimes that can come off a, a little bit like a sales pitch mm. um, to another person. And that is... Almost, you don't want to manipulate people into... Yeah, into yeah. This. Well, and I don't even think it's manipulation. I just think they're so passionate about it because, you right. know, when you've experienced something meaningful... You're like, you've got to do this. This is transformational, which is is true for your journey, right? But I think sometimes what happens is then the person, yeah, they they aren't really thinking about it. They aren't, haven't had the chance to really wrestle with understanding what it is. Some people, I think, inadvertently get into it without actually really understanding what it is. And then that's where it has the potential to go awry, right? Because they maybe haven't thought about what they believe about the spiritual realm. Um, and suddenly they're in the midst of this situation that's very much addressing and, and focusing on that. Um, so, you know, again, making sure like this, this idea of does the person understand it? And, mm-hmm. and is that what they want? Right? Have they had the chance to think it through? Have they had the chance to say, yes, I think this would be would be would be good for me? You know, in the therapy world, we call that informed consent. Um, and but it, it really is that process. Do they understand what it is? Have they had a chance to think it through? And and again, I, I don't think people are in like intentionally being manipulative. I just think in their passion yeah. for their own change, sometimes it comes across that way. Um, and so I think it's still good for people to just have that chance to really think it through, um, on that level. Um, and, and if someone says, you know, that was really great for you, but this isn't great for me, mm -hmm. you know, there's this thought that this is the solution to that problem and there's only one solution. We, you know, as human nature, we tend to be black and white thinking where there's a right way and a wrong way. And, and that could be in this area as well, where if this was right for me, then it must be right for you. Yeah. Yeah. That's not necessarily the case. Totally. Yeah. I would be very like, again, I think, yeah, just seeing and, you know, learning over, over time and just seeing different things, that would be definitely something. If somebody is uneasy or uncertain about it, or on the side of like, you know what, why don't you wait? Um, Or why don't you, like, if that's not for you, I think one of the things, again, thinking holistically 
is there are many ways that people can can pursue and find healing. And, you know, deliverance for some people might be that, but there are other options and the interwoven nature of who we are, right? Sometimes when people go for counseling and it might not have any spiritual focus, there might be change that happens on a spiritual level. Um, right. And and so I think just just trusting that that and and being a bit cautious if if you're getting into like this, everybody has to do this. Um, and, and especially giving space for somebody to come to the point of where it's their choice. Um, along with that, I think expectations, um, setting realistic expectations. So this is definitely an area when we talk about the, you know, where it goes awry. Um, sometimes again, because some people find it so profound and impactful in their life sometimes that sets people up to come in with so they might be like yes I want to do this I need this <laughs> but then they come in with unrealistic expectations and the fact is again it's not a magic wand <laughs> it is not a magic wand and again for some people it's profound but there's right. also so many other aspects of their journey again where they've been at where they're what's next okay. and so many things so I don't think we can just be like this is the one and only way and it's a quick fix Right. And that's where I think when I mentioned earlier, part of a broader journey, right? Mm. Like before our both our spiritual and our emotional well-being, those things are so lived out in, in a continuous way. And so definitely setting realistic expectations. I, I definitely think I've seen a lot of people who it, some of it was they went in with such high hopes. And then when it didn't matter, it, it, it really profoundly impacted them. Um, mm -hmm. Because then they felt like let down and because of the spiritual yeah. nature of it, like that could be transferred to their, their belief about what, you know, how God is there and how God is caring yeah. for them. Um, yeah. And so I think those are really important things to think about as well. Mm -hmm. Like this whole, and I, I don't know how to temper that. I would just say to churches, be <laughs> cautious. Like, and again, when it's profound, you know, the, the idea of testimony is a big thing in churches. We want to honor that and celebrate what's happened in somebody's life and at the same time, recognize everyone's journey is a bit unique. And this, this may or may not be the right thing for somebody at any given point yeah. and may not have and, the same impact. Yeah. And this is, this is a hard, this is a hard conversation to have. Like you said, it's hard to navigate how to have this conversation with people because it's this element of faith that mm -hmm. if you don't go in with high levels of faith and yeah. believing that it's already been done, mm -hmm. then then the la the lack of result is a product of your lack of faith mm -hmm. and and i could see how this would be you want to um temper people's expectations um but there's also this um fueling or this you know wanting to have people to have high levels of faith in in mm -hmm. what god can do in their life and yeah. this would be a challenging conversation and a challenging way to navigate this yeah well and that's like i think you know when i say think holistically right that we are both spiritual yeah. and we have this emotional piece and the social piece and this physical piece when we think about that we need to understand right that these are all together all at once impacting yeah. each other right and so that's where i would say you know with when you're thinking about somebody maybe who's potentially going to receive deliverance or be involved in your ministry a, be curious about the broader issues at, at play, right? And so if somebody's in crisis, you know, on some level, maybe it's a good time, maybe it's not, right? If somebody has significant mental health challenges, they're going, maybe the first step isn't deliverance. Maybe that's maybe an option down the road, but maybe there's other supports that they need. Um, and so I think just keeping that in mind, 
um, the, the broader picture. And again, this is where having some, some trusted folks um, who can, can help consult and think that through, but then also just thinking about where the person is at and the journey that they're on. Um, and that's where hopefully, you know, a lot of this is done in local churches where there's community and connection and relationship and an ongoing caring and supportive relationship um, to kind of know like wh- what's going on for a person. So as churches are looking for looking for how can you know there's a there's a belief or there's an understanding that this is a ministry that they want to pursue uh, do you have any um, tips for facilitators? Uh, you mentioned a couple helping people with expectations, developing mm-hmm. a holistic perspective, and maybe almost n- not not in the clinical sense triaging, but you know, a, looking at someone's readiness. Is this an appropriate time mm-hmm. and space for them at this time? Um, is there anything else that um, that you were able to? in your experience, be able to provide some support or tips for, for those yeah. who are offering this ministry? Yeah, I, I do think it's important for churches to be like thoughtful about who is involved in that type of, of ministry for some of the reasons we've already discussed. Um, so again, I think thinking through like, is the facilitator spiritually and emotionally kind of in a healthy space? Right. Unfortunately, sometimes people get into wanting to help others because of their own needs. Um, so and true. And unfortunately, then what happens is it prevents them being sensitive to the needs of others. So mm-hmm. really, there is this, you know, again, this this piece of, of deliverance that can be very, you know, this caring, almost therapeutic relationship, right? Um, and so I think this piece of it needs to be caring, a caring space. It needs to be safe. It needs to be respectful, right? If the person is uncomfortable and says, no, that needs to be respected, or I don't want to continue with this, um, sensitive to how the person is doing. And so again, I think that's where you need to think about the nature of the person um, and, and, and how they're doing. Cause it, it, again, it does have the potential we see and hear stories of people who would say that was completely traumatic, which is the exact opposite. what the purpose of deliverance is right um and so i think thinking that through um again with that comes this sort of the ability of the facilitator to honor the recipients like how how are they feeling how is the pace like are they kind of pushing them beyond what they're Mm -hmm. comfortable with are they listening not only to what they're saying but they're nonverbals, right so real real good kind of those people skills um and I also think it's important, and, and I think most probably do do some training or mentorship um, in the, like, what is done, right? Like, every kind of deliverance model has a, a way they do it. Some are very structured, some are quite unstructured. But that's where I would also just say, also think about the how, right? These mm-hmm. aspects of, like, what we would call soft skills, like the caring, the pacing, the attuning, which, again, this is where some of your mental health professionals, this is kind of what we what we go to school to learn, uh, maybe they can support, right, and help you guys help you guys think that through, because I think that does tend to make a huge difference, um, yeah. and in how it's received and how it's experienced, um, because I think the how matters a lot. And you know, I would I don't have time for this, but if anyone's interesting, you know, if you think about research, <laughs> it would be interesting. Like, there's there's seems to be something different from people who find it profoundly helpful and profoundly traumatizing. You know, some of that, of course, there's a spiritual element that might be going on, but I think there's also just a human element. Yeah. And, and if we can do everything we can to understand like, okay, what makes this is like, how can we do this in the way that's most supportive? Mm -hmm. Um, Then we inadvertently are like, 
you know, not self-defeating what we intended to do in the first place. And so I'd encourage people to give, give some thought to that as well. I love that. I love how you're, I love that the discussion isn't about whether it's right or wrong, because like Mm -hmm. you said, there's many different theological approaches or there's many different um, ways of ministering. And there are stories of people who, that this has been transformational, but Mm -hmm. when you look at the broader picture, um, how is the follow-up? Is this, Mm -hmm. is this an isolated event where then there's no tracking and caring that's happening on an ongoing basis? Amazing. Mm -hmm. I think follow-up is a missed opportunity for so not just in deliverance ministries, but also in prayer and in pastoral care. Mm-hmm. And there's like so many different other ways that our churches are caring for people, mm-hmm. looking yeah. at people holistically and, and ensuring that people are ready and appropriate for this type of ministry and being open to the concept of that there's, you know, m- maybe mental health support, maybe there's physical, you know, or biological issues that are happening or relational issues that might need to be addressed prior to this. And just being open to that concept, saying that this isn't the right way or the only right way, but it's one of many different ways that people can find healing, um, setting expectations or tempering expectations of when people go in. So there's not this fallout that, you know, and this questioning of self identity and their connection with God. Amazing. And then ensuring that those who are offering deliverance are are people who are intentionally and are are trained are prepared are appropriate and and ensuring that there's that there's a caring safe respectful environment that this is being offered in i think these are incredible tips and strategies and and ways for people to maybe look at how they're offering deliverance in their church and Mm -hmm. and uh, these i think are actually amazing for any ministry that the church is offering right and i and and deliverance is no different so Mm -hmm. i am very thankful for for you and your wisdom. And I'm so glad we sat beside each other in that, in that event back in October. (laughs) Definitely. That's awesome. Um, I don't know if it'll fit in. You did a great little summary there. One other just thought I had on the expectations. I also, it just came to mind. I think churches um, and the facilitators, those who are doing the ministry of deliverance also need to watch their expectations. So I kind Mm. of spoke about quick fixes for somebody who's receiving it. But I think it goes beyond that. I think sometimes we're so desperate for people to find freedom and healing. Yes. I think sometimes we can come with something like deliverance, which again, can have profound impacts on people's life. But then if, say if it doesn't, and I think a lot of people have sort of moderate experiences of deliverance, or they might have some of the negative and it might just be one step in a journey, a long journey, mm. right? Some of the issues that people struggle with are complex. And so I think it's also important that we don't then have, oh, it's only the dramatic, that's success. Mm-hmm. Because that's then good. again, can we inadvertently kind of go, oh, oh dear, oh, they still are struggling with this. Unfortunately, like human nature in, in this season and life is to struggle with some ongoing things and so I think having just a realistic view and maybe that goes back to that sort of theological understanding of deliverance um and just the the church's view of what it what it can accomplish and set kind of understanding of that um just kind of another thought that that is yeah it's so good we can often project our expectations or or carry our biases where if Mm -hmm. someone doesn't act or or have an outward expression or experience then that can determine what 
what we think has happened internally. And that's not, that's not necessarily true. Yeah, Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining and sharing your wisdom. This has been a conversation I've had with a couple peers, as well as I shared before, this is something that I've been looking at going, exploring and saying, okay, where, where, where does this fit in, in care ministry? And so I am just so grateful for your wisdom and for sharing with us today. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening. I believe that each church offers care in a unique way. Some churches have exceptional prayer and visitation ministry. Others partner with mental health professionals. Some do small groups. There isn't only one way to care for people. I say that anytime a church offers belonging, purpose, and hope, they are providing care. But we want to make sure that regardless of how we care, we are ensuring that we are considering the individual, we're offering follow-up, and and care in a manner that is safe and respects the individual. And so I am so grateful for Margaret's wisdom in this episode, and I hope that it helps you consider how you and your church offers care. If you want to always have the next episode of the Care Ministry Podcast, make sure you follow by clicking that plus button right at the top of your device. It's free, and then you always know when the next episode is ready. Thanks again for connecting, and take care.